Your life can be full of inspiration and magic, and you don't need glass slippers to get there. Welcome to the podcast for real life heroines with author, speaker, and coach, Susanna Liller. Join us as we work with key elements of personal development to assist you in hearing the calls that life has for you. Be inspired, be empowered, and be encouraged. Let's start today's episode with your host, Susanna Liller. Hello, everyone. I am very pleased to be here with you, with my guest, Suzanne Evans, who has been a friend for a while. I got to be on her wonderful podcast. Suzanne, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And you all know that what I most love to do on this show is to talk to people, talk to women about their heroine's journey, and most specifically about what got them on the journey? What was their call? And how was it to hear that call? And was it tough to answer it? And we're going to talk about that with Suzanne. And actually, we're going to have a conversation about two of her calls. Um, but before we go there, let me just say a few things about you, Suzanne, and, and also know that there'll be in the show notes, everyone, more information. But just so you know, who is this, this woman with this most charming accent? She <laughs> is in Birmingham now, right? Birmingham, England, yes. across the pond. And she spent quite a while, 10 years in big four consulting consultancy firms where she saw firsthand the difficulty that leaders face with change and getting people to change and large-scale transformation, how it could really be great and how it could be very hard. And then she left that world. And we're going to hear more about that. And she founded her own consulting business in 2007, helping her clients lead change in what she calls a more humane an effective way. And then, and this is going to be what we're going to talk about as far as her journey number two in 2011, she started a PhD and she had become interested in the role of stories and storytelling in organizational development and transformation. And she completed that PhD in 2020, eight years later later and we're going to hear about that um and you know it's just Suzanne so great that you're willing to share your stories because I know there are people listening that number one probably are thinking I want to leave this corporation I'm in and start my own business and also there's probably people thinking oh I'd love to do a PhD or something similar and oh I could never do it so <laughs> we're going to hear about you and then, of course, now you write and speak about organization change um, for the Business Transformation Network, Enterprise Nation, and you host open storytelling workshops, and you are the host of a very popular podcast yourself, Change Stories Podcast, in which guests share ideas for improving the world of work. And I was so honored to be on that podcast. And, and of course, our interest in stories and in storytelling, of course, we would, despite the distance and the water in between, we would connect. So thank you again for being here. 
You're so welcome. It's so lovely to uh, to see you and to talk to you again. Well, I would like to start at the end of your heroine's journey. Before we get to the beginning, the second journey, the getting the PhD, eight years, the end, because that's where we last connected when we talked. And you had just gotten back from where? Um, so I'd been to Greece. So this was um, October 2021. So I had a week in Greece, um, which was amazing, lovely to be able to get there. I mean, it felt like such a privilege, actually, to be able to travel, given everything. Right. Um, but yeah, that's where I had been last time we spoke properly. And you were celebrating. You had had this huge gargantuan challenging journey eight years getting your PhD and you took the time to celebrate and why I love pointing this out is because typical heroines hero's journey particularly in literature the character the heroine goes through her journey answers her call has all these challenges and at the end celebrates and Joseph Campbell called it freedom to live. And to me, I always translate that as, oh, I have done it. Now I can be even more of who I always knew I was, but I was afraid to do it. And so it's this feeling of exultation and collecting your gifts and celebrating the gifts from the journey. Can you relate to that when you were there in Greece? Definitely. And um it was interesting because obviously I, so I finished, I, I did everything with my PhD, finished it in July, 2020. Um, and the plan had always been to go away that August for a couple of weeks to Greece. I love Greece. So it's, it's somewhere I love to go. And we had a villa books and it was going to be amazing. And then of course, COVID got in the way and that all had to be canceled. And at the time, um, I was really upset and really disappointed um, because it was felt really important to me that I could have this celebration. And we still had a holiday and it was lovely, but it wasn't what I had thought about throughout. And, and at various times in doing the PhD, there had been good times and bad times, which I know we'll come on to. Right. But one of the things that got me through the really difficult parts was the idea that at the end of it, there'd be something, a reward, you know, a carrot, a trip to Greece that would, would make it worthwhile. And, um, and I'd done all sorts around that, you know, at a time when I was feeling really low about finishing, whether I'd ever be able to finish it, I'd spoken to a colleague, Dr. Terry Simpkin, who, by the way, is an expert in imposter phenomenon. So if anyone's interested in that, she is the person to go see. And she had done a PhD and we chatted on the phone and she said what got her through doing hers was creating a, a vision board of Italy she loves Italy and she had photographs of all the places she wanted to go visit and so the plan would be when she finished to go off and do that so I did exactly the same thing I had pictures of places in Greece and I stuck them around my office and every time that it got a bit difficult and a bit hard and I thought I don't know whether I can do this I reminded myself of what would be at the end so of course when that didn't happen um, I found it quite difficult actually and it felt like I hadn't really finished so I had this sort of year of limbo between July 2020 and July 2021 when I actually managed to have my graduation and then we went away in the October and it, and it was this it was it, it was interesting to be there because it felt like as I said at the beginning it felt like such a privilege to be able to travel having not traveled for so long but also it was like a real feeling of ending that okay that's that's done I can put that to bed now and then I can move on and do something else. Right. 
and and so this podcast has always been so focused on the call and listening to the call and what was the journey but the ending and that reward part is really very important so that's why I was so happy to hear that you did it so let's now go back and let's go to the beginning and I'd love to ask you to talk about journey number one and particularly again because you know this is the great resignation period people are leaving their jobs they're reconsidering and I myself had to leave a needed wanted to leave a, a big corporate job I had been there for 12 years so tell us how you got that call and I know it was different from your second journey but just what was that like the call and leaving and how hard was it to start your own business it's interesting because um lots of people have asked me well that must have been a really difficult decision actually that decision was not hard um because I felt like I had to go I loved my work um I was working as a an HR and change and organization development consultant with one of the big four and I I loved the job and I loved working with the clients but I was finding it increasingly difficult so um I'd had I think by the time I left my daughter was two um so I'd, I'd come back from having having maternity leave and everything was the same and the job was the same and and the sort of the stresses and the pressure was the same but I was a different person um you know I wasn't the same as I had been before but no one treated me as though I was any different and it I, I just I knew I couldn't carry on I, I didn't want to be the, the person that I was there um, I had lots of um, people around me who were working parents and they weren't doing it in a way that I wanted to do it you know they didn't see a lot of their children and, and that was the kind of expectation for me too and I just I just didn't want to be that person so it, it was almost like a I have to get out of this place um, and self-employment was something I'd thought about for a while and it, and it didn't feel scary because my dad had his own business so I'd grown up with that in that world so it felt quite normal for me mm-hmm. and I just remember saying one day to my husband um I'm, I'm going to resign on Monday <laughs> and uh and he just kind of went okay <laughs> what are you going to do and I said oh I'm going to um I'm going to work for myself and I'm going to do the same thing but just for me and in a way that I want to do it and he just said fine if anyone can do it you can do it so so that was it and so it was it wasn't that hard it felt harder to have stayed that would have felt harder than to go that's that's that wonderful quote by Anais Nin that it's harder to stay closed as a bud than to burst into but you just have you can't not do it but I'm sure that people listening thinking oh my gosh, the security and the experience that you had and you left it behind. And, but so it paid off though. You were. It did. Yeah. And I think I said to myself at the beginning, um, I'm going to give it a year. I'll give myself a year. And if at the end of that year, I hate it or it hasn't worked out or I haven't had any work or, you know, whatever, then I would go back to having a proper job again and do something normal. And, you know, 14 years later, I'm still here. <laughs> still with Feldspar Consulting. Feldspar Consulting, yes. I mean, things yeah. have changed. You know, I do very different work now to what I did at the beginning. But it was, it, 
I don't know, I can't explain it. It just felt like something I had to do. I, I genuinely think having had that experience as a child of seeing my, my parents set up a business and that helped because it made it, it wasn't unusual and I had people to ask and, you know, I could speak to them about it and what they had done and, and hugely supportive family. Um, and all of that, which made life a lot easier. But it was, I just knew I couldn't carry on doing what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So there's journey number one. And you're really, in effect, you're still on that one because you still have that business and it, it worked for you. And then how did the call to, to this huge project of getting your PhD, where did that come from? How did that materialize inside of your head so i think it was about three years in so i'd probably been doing my own thing for about three years and i loved it you know i loved the work i loved the freedom of it you know i've learned a big thing for me is freedom and, and control and if i feel like i'm not in control or i don't have freedom then that's not good for me so from that sense it really worked for me being self-employed I think in around about 2010, um, I started to just feel a bit bored um, because I, I don't know, I, the work was good, but it was quite similar. You know, I was doing similar projects all the time um, and I just started to think, I, I don't know, I want something else. And I didn't know what that was. And um, I knew I wanted to study. My husband had, had finished his MBA um, a year or so before. And, and I thought, you yeah, know, I fancy doing something. And I, I toyed with the idea of, of actually becoming an acupuncturist because um, I have acupuncture for migraines. Um, it's made a huge difference to my life mm. since I was in my early 20s. And, and I, I, you know, I'm passionate about it. And I thought maybe I could do that. And so I, I started investigating that. But there was something about it that just wasn't quite wasn't quite right. I don't know why it just wasn't. Um, and then um, I remembered a couple of years before I'd worked on a project where um, the client had started teaching its senior leaders about communicating through stories. And I can remember there was an article, Robert McKee, um, storytelling that moves people, which actually, if anyone's interested in stories and why they work, look it up. It's in the Harvard Business Review. It's an amazing article. Let me just have you read so... Um... McKee is his last Robert McKee Robert storytelling that moves people Harvard Business Review it's just the best article you sent me the link for that and I thought and it is a wonderful article and I think maybe we could put that in the story notes the show notes yeah okay yeah, it's really available I think so you can look it up and it was really um, a catalyst for you for sure um and but at the time I didn't really realize I kind of read it and filed it away in the in the my that's interesting folder which you know I'll come back to that later um, and, and it, but it really I, I thought that's really interesting and I saw how well that had worked at that particular organization in terms of communicating a change of strategy so I just started doing some reading around stories and change and you know I don't know just what was going on it, it kind of piqued my interest um and then um more things started kind of popping up you know how we know what it's like you read something and then it leads on to something else and I started reading more and more stuff um but never at that point did I think I could do anything with it I just thought it was you know an interesting thing um and then about that time I was doing some lecturing at the University of Birmingham to talk to their undergraduates about organization change and I just got chatting to one of the professors there who was my kind of contact 
who I'd known actually since I was in in Big Four. And uh, and I started to, she said, oh, what are you doing at the moment? And I, I said, oh, I've been doing this, you know, I've been reading about storytelling. And she said, well, that sounds really interesting. Maybe you should do some more study in it. And I kind of went, yeah, maybe. And then she said, you should do a PhD. And I just laughed. <laughs> I just laughed at her, really? Uh, but I never thought I could. <laughs> so that never had crossed your brain before that? No. No, the only person whose brain it had crossed was my mother's, who um, actually, when I told her that I was going to do a PhD, she said, yeah, I know. Um, I've known that you would do something like that for years. <laughs> so, yeah, no one else's brain it had crossed, but my mother knew. <laughs> Didn't your mother have a dream? She, yeah, she said she'd always been, she had always seen me doing something in academia. Um, and so it was just, she just knew, but she's good like that, my mum. She, uh, she, she knows things. So yeah, it was it was kind of Joe who then went on to become my supervisor for my PhD, put the idea in my head, and I kind of went home and thought about it and thought, oh, you know, maybe that sounds interesting. But the more I thought about it, the more excited I got about it. And because, you know, going back to that kind of freedom and control, which is so important to me, I realised I didn't like the idea of someone teaching me. I wanted to go off and learn something myself. So it it kind of it it really fitted and, and I felt really excited so yeah off I went and just started did the research proposal and it went from there. <laughs> what I love about how you tell this is that people can see how a call comes to somebody that oh this piques my interest I'm going to look into this a little more at the same time looking into something else like acupuncture and then realizing no that's not it and you know, then it's sort of your pathway kind of unfolds as you go. Yeah. So then Suzanne, you went and did it and it was a snap and you got it. Rubber stamp. I have my PhD. Did that how, is that how it went? Not really. <laughs> no. no, it was hard. Um, you know, I think, well, any study that you do alongside running a business and being yeah. a parent, yeah. it's hard. Yes. <laughs> I don't think I had really understood what it would be like um, and and maybe that was a good thing because maybe if I had I might not have done it but I think I mean you know me I'm optimistic about most things and I, and I I just think I thought oh well it will be fine how hard will it be is that is my classic comment about most things <laughs> um, but it, it was it was hard I think it took me eight years um, which is kind of normal, actually, for a part-time PhD. It takes anywhere between six and eight. It took me eight the whole time. But actually, I was I was there for nine um, because I had to take a year off. Um, I think in about year six of the eight, I had to take a year off. I think that's so important to talk about, if you would, because it's like such an example of self-care, what you did, and that people have to know it's helpful to know that this is something they can do too if you would explain about your year off yeah so um it was about the january of the year six so um and I, I just i wasn't enjoying it anymore um i was finding it really hard i had finished doing the research so i'd finished going out and collecting the data um i'd done the reading in terms of the literature review and all of that the next step was to to write the thing and um it's 80,000 words thesis and yeah <laughs> yeah so let's just let that sink in and I think you showed it to me when we last talked yeah, I'll, I'll wave it I'll, let me yeah. wave, it. wave it in the air so we can see the product of this 
Oh my stars, look at that. Yeah. There, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> and the title I had, but you can probably Digging the Dirt, an archaeology of stories of change, history, and identity in a transforming organization. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Wow. All right. But now we're back to you hadn't <laughs> written it yet. And no. you you were feeling what stuck. I think really stuck. Uh, I think I had a really bad case of writer's block um, and awful feelings of being an imposter, which I had really struggled with throughout. So, you know, I have a, I have a degree, so I've got a Bachelor of Science. But I did that when I was, you know, 18. And this was a significant amount of time later. And um, throughout, there was a voice in my head constantly telling me I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't write academically um you know I didn't understand things there were lots of things you know I had to do a series of lectures about research methods to learn how to do it and I'd sit there in the lectures and think I don't understand any of this you know I was having to write things down and look them up when I got home and I found that really hard and I think at that point it had got too much for me and I couldn't couldn't see how I could continue and I thought I either need to stop for a bit or I'm just going to stop altogether and walk away. And, and I knew I didn't want to do that. So I had to stop in a kind of planned way. So I went to see my supervisors and I said, you know, I just I can't do this at the moment. I need to take a leave of absence. Um, and so I did for a year. And um, during that time, I got myself a coach, um, Rebecca, who just we just worked together on how I was feeling and um, and trying to understand why I was feeling as I was and dealing with this feeling of being an imposter um, and at the end of that year I felt ready to go back and I remember going back so it was an academic year rather than a, a year year so in the September of that year I appeared back at university again and my two supervisors said to me oh we didn't think you'd come back <laughs> they, they couldn't imagine that I could because yeah. it was so I was so I wasn't behind but I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing I wasn't writing the way I should but it it made the world of difference and um genuinely if I hadn't taken that time away I know I wouldn't have finished my supervisor said the writing that I was doing when I came back was so much better I just felt freer I you know I just was ready to do it and so it was yeah it absolutely saved the day taking that year off it was hard to do yeah. um it felt like a real admission of failure at the time right but it was the right thing to do. Must have been hard to go and say, I can't do this and I need to take time. But so on the heroine's journey, we identify these moments of great stuckness as there's a dragon in your path, breathing fire. And it sounds like you worked with your coach to try to identify what the heck is getting mm -hmm. in my way. And it sounds like definitely also this, imposter syndrome was part of that but can you like what was the dragon for you do you think what what was the fear or what made it so impossible to go on it was the fear that people would laugh at what I had done yeah so um, yeah that was it that's where I got to with my coach um, that I was absolutely petrified of all this stuff all the research I'd done was in my head and and I hadn't shown it to anybody and I was really good with that. And I knew I'd done some good research and I knew I'd found some interesting things, but I hadn't actually had to tell anybody. And so the idea of telling people this, my work, 
was absolutely petrifying to me that they would laugh and I mean it's ridiculous because of course they wouldn't but that was my huge fear it's not because I bet like I can't maybe everybody listening and people not listening it's such a common thing I went through it it's such a bunch of baloney but that's what we believe in those voices in your head are telling us that it's ridiculous and we listen we think they know what they're talking about but then now what can you say to those voices what have you learned about yourself so I think I mean I still have them like everybody does but I think it's I have a different story now to tell which is that I thought that and then I realized that um it wasn't true and so I went and did my research and presented it anyway and nobody laughed um and so actually you know people really liked it and so I think now when I get a similar feeling when I'm doing something new I can kind of go back to the you know this and this and go you know it's fine (laughs) it's right you know but I I bet because I've heard this and I've experienced it even though this has happened and you have proved to yourself you're not an imposter and you did it and nobody laughed and you are an academic and all of those things as you go forward into new journeys those feelings come back and we forget sometimes what we've done and often when I'm coaching women I have to remind them yeah but remember when you you know but we do. I don't know. I guess it's just part of our culture, society, something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I, I kind of learned during all of this, definitely through conversations with my coach, is that this work was different to work I'd done before. So, you know, when I was at school, I was really good. I was really good. I was academic. You know, I was the kind of good girl in, in class. And I'd gone through my whole life doing that and being right about things. And I realised with this that it's not about being right. It's about presenting something that makes sense. And what I really struggled with was showing my supervisors things that I didn't think was finished. But actually, the whole point of the academic process is you show things to your supervisors and to your fellow academics and get their feedback. And I just wasn't used to working in that way and so I really struggled to show things to people because I didn't feel like they were done. And so it was kind of that you don't have to be right it doesn't have to be correct you know you just have to show where you're at and and then go well I'm you know I'm not done yet but I'm almost there and that's okay and I would say to you the mark of a real heroine is the willingness to go out there and chart a path and know that sometimes you will be wrong and you will make mistakes and you'll go to that supervisor and they'll say okay here's the feedback this doesn't make sense and you take that in, but you keep going. And, you know, you really were out there forging a new path. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing I realized, which helped was that I, I had this fear of not being an academic. Well, actually, I'm not, you know, I, I have, I'm a practitioner, I'm a consultant, and I have that experience, which people in academia don't have. So I'm just coming at it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. And so once I got comfortable with that, in that, you know, I'm not, I'm not an academic, I've got a foot in both camps, and that's good, you know, that makes me me. And right. once I was all right with that, then the writing came a lot easier, because I could write it in a way that felt true to me. 
and I wasn't trying to fit myself into the academic way and actually the, uh, the whole chunk of one of the first chapters of my thesis is me explaining to the people reading it to the examiners I'm writing this in a certain way and this is why um, and because it's who I am but also because I feel like it's important to have an authentic voice and that's my voice you know I, I'm following the academic protocol but I'm not writing it in an academic way because I, I don't want to <laughs> so that was how I did it <laughs> so that must have been freeing because you yeah. were saying this is who I am and being okay with that where maybe at the beginning you were thinking you were going to have to sound more academic or be more right Right. So that's another thing the journey, I think, teaches us to be more who we are. Mm. Yeah. So the imposter syndrome, which so many people, particularly women, run into, how, what advice could you give us about dealing with that? I think for me, what I've learned is to notice it when it happens. So I think often, you know, we all have conversations with ourselves in our heads, don't we? And, and we don't notice that it's happening. And I think for me, once I started to notice it, then I was able to challenge it a bit more. And um, my coach really helped me with um, of, of kind of questioning it. So when I came, when I'd say to her, oh, well, I think everyone will laugh at me. The first question she would say is, is that true? Um, and I would say, no, probably not. <laughs> and of course, that immediately takes the legs off of that fit, that feeling, that fear. Right. So that's how I do it now is, is to really notice what I'm feeling and then to really ask the question of it. Is that true? And uh, that's what I do. Bring it out. Acknowledge it. It's not as scary as when you keep it inside. Yeah. And the other question I ask myself um, is around um, what's the worst that could happen? Um, and then I think about that and then the, and then I say, well, could I survive that if that happened? Um, and then usually the answer is yes. <laughs> then you can move on. <laughs> and probably during that time when you were questioning, should I keep going? You probably thought to yourself, OK, if I put this aside and stop, what's the worst that could happen? I would still be living. I'd have my business, yeah. my family. Yeah. Yeah. I know several people who have written and have gotten to that first draft and then put it aside yeah. for those reasons you've been people will laugh at me it's not good yeah so think, go ahead you know writing is hard and I found it harder than I thought I would because you know like a lot of people I write all the time for work but that's it's different this felt very personal and it felt very exposing and quite and made me feel quite vulnerable and I think I, for a lot of writers I think writer's block is just that it's the fear getting in the way and actually um, once I just started writing my supervisor said um, you know the Pomodoro technique where you set an alarm and you write for five minutes and then you stop just do that just write for five minutes even if it's drivel it's, it doesn't matter and of course it isn't you know you write and it's fine and then you do another five minutes and on and on and so it was just it, it was having the, the courage I suppose to start and then once I started, I was fine and it was just flowing out of me. Um, but it was that feeling of taking what was inside and putting it out there for the world was, was quite intimidating. Right. So true. And my mother was an English teacher. She ah. taught for many years and her same technique was she would say to me, just get it out, get it on the paper. Don't care 
if it's right or what it looks like or anything and then look at it the next day and see what you think and it always surprised me the next day that oh it wasn't as bad <laughs> as i thought you know so just getting it out yeah and the, of course there's many the artist's way julia cameron i mean there's many like the pomodoro technique to help you with this yeah so so you got your phd you celebrated you felt that freedom to be yourself that you had put this major piece of who you are and you're thinking out into the world, which is the heroine crosses the return threshold, shares her knowledge with the village. And, um, and so if I asked you about the gifts, the major gifts, as you look back of that journey that you received, Suzanne, you would say, what? Um, so I think it's given me it's given me a new direction, I think, in, in my work. So uh, I always had a foot in both camps. So before I started my PhD, I'd done some HR consulting and some change consulting, and I always did a bit of both. Since I finished my PhD, I'd, I kind of made the conscious decision, well, I've done all that now, so <laughs> I should probably focus on organisation change and storytelling. And, and what's happened since then is that that's what I've been doing. Um, and so it's like my attention has been focused in that area. And so the universe has given me things to do in that area. Um, and so that's been really great. And it's given me that focus. It's given me something really interesting to talk about with people. But I think also it's just given me that level of confidence that I can I can do something like that and I can finish it. I have a real reputation amongst family and friends for not being good at finishing things, which is true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but this I did. And so it's kind of given me a sense of, do you know, what? I can finish things. And, uh, and so this this reputation I have is not being very good at finishing things. I can do things. <laughs> I think you prove them wrong for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so then I think that you have, last time we talked, talked to me about the inklings of maybe another call coming up for you that is um, sparking you again. Yeah, it's, um, oh, I don't know, it's really difficult. So I think when I first finished study, the next question that people always said is, well, when are you gonna write a book? Um, and that was the question. And I had, different advice so some people said oh we'll just turn your thesis into a, a book book you know take out the academic references and turn it into a book and I sort of toyed with that for a while um but a bit like being an acupuncturist it didn't feel quite right you know I thought if I'm going to write a book I want it to be a really good book not just me rehashing my thesis um and so at the start of this year I did a, like a writer's retreat um where um over a period of 10 days we drafted a research a book proposal um which was just amazing it was such a good experience mm. um with a lady called Alison Jones um who just is brilliant at what she does in terms of pulling out of your head what you might want to do but at the end of that process I I really enjoyed writing the book proposal but then that I felt like that was enough mm. um I, it, I didn't want to do anything with it and um and I I sort of thought a lot about why that was was it because I was afraid again of, of kind of putting something out there was it just that I was I'd had enough of writing I didn't want to do any more um, and I think it's the latter um, so I feel like I've done 
I did a lot of writing and now I don't want to do anymore for a while. (laughs) Interesting. And so that voice that had been saying, there's something I want to do more with this has kind of quieted. Well, it's kind of gone in a bit of a different direction, probably even since I spoke to you last. So um, the idea of the book is still there. And, um, and I had an idea for a title. So I wanted to talk about untangling the mess of change because organization change is really messy. And I think organizations try and make it um, rigid and, and, you know, put a structure around it and you can't, and that's why it's difficult. So I sort of had that idea in my head. I even went off and bought some, um, website names things so I went quite a long way down the road so that's still there bubbling under but I've kind of got this new idea now which is um something's been pecking at me for a while about creativity and wanting to be more creative so I was asked to write something last year about how stories can help organizations become more innovative and I really enjoyed doing it and and so that's what's piquing my interest now is Mm -hmm to do something around creativity. I've been asked actually to join, um, be part of the teaching group on some creative writing workshops. And so I think this is a slightly different direction now, but it's kind of the breadcrumbs are leading me down this road of creativity. I don't know where yet. And you're such an, you're so good at following the breadcrumbs. You know, which I think it that's the process is you follow what, and you know, you're, point that you made earlier that you said sort of casually when you focus on something or when you're looking into something the universe starts sending you things your way and and yeah I think that happens I think we get I think it does yeah so well that's we'll see where that goes and and that sounds very interesting and I guess just if you can do this in a, a short summary kind of way um for people thinking, well, I wonder how Suzanne does use stories in an organization. What would that look like? So um, I do a variety of things. So, and, and actually it might be good if I talk about some projects that I've worked on, because that kind of brings it to life a bit. Okay. So before Christmas, I was doing some work with a, an organization where they've got a new strategy. They want their leaders to communicate it in a way that's really engaging to their people. And so they came to me and said, do you think we could use stories to do this? And I said, yes. Um, And so the work that I was doing was working with the leadership group to help them build their storytelling skills, first of all, and to kind of understand why stories are so amazing and um, how the brain reacts to a story rather than to a series of facts. So, you know, the research shows if if you as a listener listen to a story, versus the same information given in a series of facts you'll remember about seven times as much of it from a story as from facts so if you're trying to tell people something telling a story is a really good way of doing it so the first bit was kind of I suppose proving to this group of executives why stories are good and why they should be interested and then I did some work with them on building their skills so we took the strategy and um and I got them to tell me about it in a in a story rather than just showing the powerpoint slide Um, they talked I use the work of Noel Tichy quite a lot so the um, leadership point of view that he does which is all about having a story about why you're a leader and how you got into it so I worked with them to develop their own leadership point of view that they could then tell to their teams to give them an insight into who they are 
so that's one of the sorts of um, projects that I do. And, and the other sort of thing that I do is, is working with organisations who are going through change to help them build stories into things like their communications and to the training that they might be doing to support people through change. Um, because it's, it just works. The human brain is attuned to stories and, um, you know, it just works. People get it and they remember things and they're more engaged. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I tend to use it. Yeah, and I would say it's more fun. It's so much more yeah. interesting. You're not zoning off bullet after bullet on a slide. You're you're hearing something so much more interesting. Well, good. That's helpful, and I know people will appreciate knowing more. And boy, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where your breadcrumbs are going to take you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know, it's I've learned that when it's the right thing, you know. And so, you know, the book I thought was the thing I wanted to do, and it might still be a thing I want to do, but right now it's on the back burner because it didn't, it, once I'd done the book proposal, I felt like I'd done it, if that makes sense. Yeah. I didn't want to write anymore. And it seems to me that you're transitioning yourself and wherever you end up, it will be a whole different book than what you <laughs> yeah. thought, you know, so it remains yeah. Yeah. So I, I know we're getting to the end of our time, but I wanted to ask you the final question. Here, people have been listening to you and you've shared so much good information. I mean, even just the tool of when you're in those places that you're still slogging through your journey to do a vision board and put pictures of where you want to go at the end is such a good thing. You know, I'm thinking, I need to do that here in the <laughs> office. But what do you want most for people to take from what you shared with us today? So I think it's, for me, I've, I had this period of time, because it took me quite a long time to do my PhD. I had various moments when I wished I'd started it sooner. Um, because when I started, no one really seemed to be talking about storytelling particularly in business there was a bit of it going on but not a huge amount by the time I finished there was loads and um and I started to think oh maybe I've missed the boat here maybe I've been too late and my supervisor said to me actually if there's lots of noise about the topic that you're writing about when you finish your thesis it's a really good thing because it means it's topical um so that kind of reassured me but I still had this kind of feeling like oh I wish I'd done this before um, I wish I hadn't taken eight years. I wish I hadn't taken a year off, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And actually looking back on it now, I think I realised it was just it was the right time for me. And I know for sure if I had done my PhD when I was younger, it wouldn't have been as good because I just I didn't have the life experience. I didn't it didn't feel like such a luxury. You know, there's something quite luxurious when you're a bit older in kind of throwing yourself into study. Mm -hmm. um, and when I know when I did my first degree, I loved it. I loved university, but I, I didn't appreciate it for what it was because everyone I knew did it. Everyone went to university. So it was just normal, whereas this was not normal. And, and it felt really amazing to be on campus and to go to the library and all that stuff, which, you know, I just loved it because it was it felt like something special for me. So I think looking back on it now, I know that um, it was the right time for me to do it the the outcome was better if I hadn't taken a year off it wouldn't have been as good I know it wouldn't the writing wouldn't have been as good I wouldn't have liked it so much so um, I wouldn't have gotten to where I, I needed to get to if I had done it sooner 
and actually that's quite a nice realization mm. and linked to that this idea of sort of stepping back for a bit felt like a failure I'd never done anything like that before I'd never had to say I can't do this I'd always said I can do this but it was great to do that and it was the right thing to do and that's been quite a nice learning as well right right it's it's kind of letting people know wherever you are on the path it could be the exact it probably is the exact right place for you to be and you just can't see it now because of your vision isn't where it's going to be when you're done and now you Suzanne looking back and see it it turned out it unfolded just the way it should hooray yeah. well I can just want to congratulate you it's just such an accomplishment really really and for for people listening who are considering something and thinking I could never do that please take to heart what you've heard today from Suzanne who said to you know at the beginning never I never I can't do a PhD and here she is yeah so well, brava yet Thank again. You. And so, of course, we're going to have information about you in the show notes that go with this. But anything, the best place to get in touch with you, people want to hear more, or maybe they didn't quite catch what you had to say because of your most charming, lovely English <laughs> accent, <laughs> they can contact you how. So um, have a look on my website, which is feldsbarconsulting.com. Um, the podcast is Change Stories, and that's on the website, but it also has its own website, which is changestories.co.uk, or look me up on LinkedIn, um, Suzanne Evans, Suzanne with an S, not a Z. Right, right, and she's Suzanne, not Susanna. It's so. very confusing. <laughs> okay, well, again, what a delight to be with you, and I can't wait for the next time that we're together. Thank you so much for doing this, Suzanne. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me on. And everybody else, I hope that you will keep listening to stories from heroines on their journey. And until the next time, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Real Life Heroines with Susanna Liller. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. To find more about Susanna and how she can assist you in your heroine story, go to SusannaLiller.com forward slash blog or find us on social media and YouTube by searching Susanna Liller. You can also email us directly at Susanna at SusannaLiller.com. We'd love to hear from you. To be encouraged and inspired outside of the show and blog, check out You Are Heroine, a retelling of the hero's journey written by your host and coach, Susanna, available on Amazon. Until the next time, be well, heroine.